Hello, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to the Sober Nation podcast. We are coming up on the new year. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday. If you guys did some traveling, if you guys got to visit home with your family, I really, really hope from the bottom of my, of my heart that you got to enjoy the family time. You got to take a break, get some R&R, get locked and loaded so that we could hit this new year strong. I know I'm feeling good about the new year. I'm feeling really excited about 2019, and I'm feeling very excited about this podcast. Before I get into this episode, I first want to say thank you so much to everybody uh, who left a comment and gave some feedback about the new direction of this podcast. I know a lot of people were used to listening to Tim Stodd's FM and suddenly they they got a new episode with a new logo and it's called the Sober Nation Podcast. And what the hell is that about? But uh, as I hoped and as I expected, the podcast was very well received and I'm really excited about this new direction. It's It's been on my heart. Obviously, I'm an entrepreneur and I like to talk about different kinds of success conversations, but first and foremost, I'm a man in recovery and it's important to me that I kind of get back into these into these roots and have these conversations with people so that people that are struggling with addiction uh, can hear this and they can know that if it's possible for me, it is possible for them. So I don't need to babble on too much about it. I just truly, from the bottom of my heart, wanted to say thank you. And I'm really looking forward to this new direction with the Sober Nation podcast to see what kind of amazing conversations I have and what kind of uh, service and and help we can we can contribute to the world. So with that, today's episode is with another good friend of mine, Paul Churchill. Paul is the founder of the Recovery Elevator podcast. You can learn more about Recovery Elevator at recoveryelevator.com. I have watched Paul over the last three, almost four years now. Uh, record his podcast and publish his podcast every week without fail. His consistency, uh, his dedication to what he is doing and to the message that he is spreading is really inspiring for me. Um, he's He and I are, are kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, we, we have a lot of the same uh, personality traits. Some of those traits make it good for us to be successful, but also, some of these personality traits make it really kind of exhausting to be in our own skin sometimes, and that's that's a topic that we touched on with this podcast as well. So, uh, enjoy this episode, enjoy Paul, enjoy everything that he has to say, and uh, and I hope you love it. I know you will. Paul has a great message, and he's just a fucking awesome dude. All right, guys, Paul Churchill. Uh, I don't know. Usually around like 40 minutes, 50 minutes, I kind of yeah. find is like the best length for a podcast, you know, or just when we get bored of each other. <laughs> it's all good. Good, man. Well, Paul, we are recording. It's really good to see you. Tim, I'm Sober Nation. Yeah. The man right here. It's great to be with you as well. It's, uh, I had Omar on last week as kind of my first official guest for the Sober Nation podcast. And he and I were kind of reminiscing just about 
the journey that we've all been on over the last like four years or so. And um, I've been kind of keeping up to date with him. And I've been more so following what you're doing out with, with Recovery Elevator with the podcast, obviously, which we're going to talk all about. And I want to hear about that. But I think something that you do, which is really, really, really interesting, is how you've kind of incorporated um, a membership quality to Recovery Elevator and how you do the trips. And you really get to like accentuate all the amazing opportunities that people have either once they find recovery or get sober or even just kind of rid themselves of, of whatever uh, obsessive kind of qualities that they have in their life, you know? So um, I guess first and foremost, please uh, introduce yourself, give people a little bit of an idea of what Recovery Elevator is, and, um, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, Tim, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my name is Paul Churchill. I live in Bozeman, Montana. If anybody's ever seen a river runs through it, watch out because you might see that movie and then later move to Bozeman, Montana because that's pretty much exactly what I did. I'm not even joking. Um, it's a beautiful spot. And uh, my journey into sobriety started in 2010. My body, heart, and soul were giving me indicators. The writing was on the wall before that. Um, but my latest sobriety date is September 7, 2014. And uh, yeah, you mentioned you had Omar on your podcast for your inaugural episode. First off, nice job doing a podcast. Takes a lot of work. Um, and I think you. you're doing great things with it. And I can't think of a better guy as Omar to be on the first episode. That guy has a voice uh, for radio. He has been given a, a God-given talents to spread this message yeah. of, of you know, it, it's sobriety. And, and, and the message for me has shifted in the last three and a half years since I first started sobriety is what it is, but we're, we're, we're looking to become whole again and to recover the person that we are always meant to be. And I love how that's how Russell Brand says it in his recent interview with Tony Robbins. And there's a, ah, there's such a cool movement going on right now, Tim, and you were very much part of that. I remember when I was getting sober in 2014, really in the grind of the hamster wheel of addiction, uh, at Facebook, I'd go, there's a lot of garbage and garble on Facebook, but there was this thing called sober nation <laughs> and I went to it and uh, I'd read the posts. I get the encouragement. Uh, I, and I saw there was other people out there in the same ditch that I was in. <laughs> and there's comfort in numbers because there was a time where I thought I was the only person in the entire world struggling with alcohol. Uh, once that idea, um, of wait a second, there has to be more. And I don't think I'm the only one going through this. Once that idea gets legs and energy, it's kind of unstoppable. You can't really go back to drinking. And there were several times where I did, it's like, ah, screw it. Not really a problem. Don't have multiple DUIs. Don't have all this wreckage that I've heard other people have in their stories. Um, I'm okay. I'm going to try this drinking thing out moderately for another five to six years or the rest of my life. But you can't go back to it. You can't because those, those ideas of moderation, they, just, they didn't work for me. And after interviewing over 200 people, I have yet to meet somebody that's worked for them. And so, um, yeah, it's the little background about myself. And that's how also I started recovery elevator in 2014. I got sober. And after about two months, I knew I was going to drink again. I just got this feeling. I said, Oh shit, if I don't do something different, I'm going to drink again. And I love podcasts and I love um, consuming media in that way. I can go for a run and listen to a podcast and do whatever I want. Listen to a podcast. And so I decided to selfishly start a podcast. First episode was February, 2015. Um, ironically, three days after Omar launched his first podcast episode, February of 2015 as well. And so I did it to create accountability for myself. And I didn't really care 
who listened. I didn't really think very many people would listen. But what happened after that was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. People were listening and there was, there were, there were, there were common pain points. There were similar threads that I was reading and, um, people, it was a secret that people had carried on their shoulders for their entire, not entire lives, but for a long time mm-hmm. that they just wanted to get the monkey off the back. Even if they didn't quit drinking successfully do it for a prolonged period of time, just being in a community or just sending an email to somebody saying, Hey, I resonate with the podcast. I also struggle with this. It's, it's empowering. Um, and it's been a fun ride. And along that ride, I've got to meet awesome people like you, uh, Omar. Um, and just want to say thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. It means a lot to hear you say some of that stuff. And, uh, and even from that intro, there's so many different directions that, that I think about taking that. Um, I think the best place to is when you started Recovery Elevator, you had mentioned that you met other people like yourself, whether it's digitally or through email, I'm sure maybe you got a couple phone calls here and there. Um, but I have found that the most rewarding thing I had when building Sober Nation and with working with other people is just that community that is built. And it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of because it's something that I can't really take all the credit for, you know? And in a way, I just feel really proud of that, that by simply opening up a channel of conversation, you find other people like yourself that just sort of flood in and they want to be heard and they want to talk to other people and they want to help each other out. And that's kind of why I feel uncomfortable sometimes uh, taking too much credit for the sober nation community, because like all I say is I just gave people like a, a, a platform to talk and it's, it's everybody. It's the whole recovery community that kind of made it what it is. So when I heard you say that, I can really, really relate to that feeling because I could see kind of, I don't know how much it means to you when, when you were talking about it. And I would love to hear a little bit more about how um, just sort of that community that is built around Recovery Elevator has like impacted you personally. Yeah, and be, before I get to that answer, you mentioned something earlier where I'm finding I'm meeting more and more people like myself. Mm. <laughs> and, Oh, and I'm finding I'm continually meeting more and more people like myself. There's this upward trend. Am I just surrounding myself with more similar people like me? Is that, that can't be possible. And what it is, is I'm focusing more and more on the similarities and not the differences. Cause my very first AA meeting I went to, I was like, no way, not even close. I'm not like anybody in this room. And even after four years of sobriety, I'm still deepening with those sentiments. I'm still finding ways to just lay down my guard, set the ego aside and say, yeah, we've got a lot in common and it's a beautiful journey. And it's something I still, still need to work on. But what the community means to me, it it took me a while with recovery elevator to figure out what it is. Like I said, I started a podcast to create accountability and it took me probably a year and a half to hit the moment, say, Oh my gosh, this is a community. That's what I have. That's what I'm starting. That's what we're building. And you mentioned the word platform either as, and you mentioned the word platform as well. And Tim, I think, I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice for not taking credit for it. This is a, you've done a great job what you're doing and it's okay to say, yeah, Tim, great job, Paul, good job. It's okay to say that stuff because Mm -hmm. 
even though it does seem simple, like on, on the face value, like I just opened up some Facebook groups. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes, but there's a stigma surrounding drugs and alcohol and addiction. And I thought when I launched that podcast that the, that the stars were going to fall out of orbit, the planets were going to fall out of orbit. I thought a lot of things were going to change. I was terrified. Fortunately, none of those things happened. But you can give yourself some credit because you had the courage to go out there before me, before a lot of the people. And you were almost a trailblazer with this stuff. You had the courage to go out there and, and say, hey, this is, this is not right. The, I'm going to go against the current. And not just conform for one, like there was some, you were recognizing personally that the drugs and alcohol were not serving you in a purpose, but you also empowered yourself with a voice. So that's, that's pretty cool, man. Nice job. It feels good to hear people say that. I, I am, I don't know if angry is the white is the right word, but it does bother me that there's such a huge, huge problem going on that so few people like to talk about. It's like the only thing that, I don't want to say that has a stigma, but in comparison to other nationwide killers, you know, there's plenty, plenty of people talking about cancer awareness. So like, (laughs) I, I, I guess maybe I'm stubborn or maybe I'm just arrogant but i just could never wrap my head around the fact like how come people don't just talk about this more often because it's important like people die all the time from addiction and and not only do they die um i I guess this is probably like a good segue to talk about like some of your success after recovery elevator but like addiction really really robs us of the opportunity to be like our most true selves, you know? And, and I, I think that the more conversations we have about the spiritual malady of addiction and, you know, some of the like more practical, uncomfortable conversations of addiction, like overdoses and, um, and just how like it, it affects your finances by being just broke and addicted to whatever all the time. I think more painful than all of that is you never ever really get to realize the things that you could become. And so that's why uh, it meant a lot to me to put myself out there because I was hoping that if I just sort of do it and and be the change I wish to see in the world that other people would kind of jump on and, you know, seven years, seven years into it, I, I think that's what happens. Like, I do feel proud about that. Yeah, gosh, addiction, the, the, it, it's an epidemic. It, it, it is. And it's mm-hmm. reached epidemic proportions. And I feel addiction is somewhat of the status quo of how we are as a society right now, like the underlying heartbeat, just the current, the energy of, of, how, of how society is. And one of my favorite uh, authors is uh, Dr. Gaber Mate. And in one of his books, he said, there's no record of addiction pre-modern times. And I, I, did, I did a little bit of research into it. And, and sure, there are some offshoots of addiction. Even there's addiction in the Bible and things like that. But really, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a modern phenomenon of addiction. And um, I, I loved podcasting about it. Episode 200 just came out was about the cure to addiction. And I think it's all, most of it's speculative. Um, but in like, I think in four to 500 years, if, if we address a lot of these society, societal issues that just are, just not working. Um, addiction might be one of those things that just slowly fades away. And you know, currently, 
how we're treating addiction. I think, uh, like I said, there's some trailblazers out there. I think in 1935 with the foundation of AA, that was a killer start. Um, got, got the conversation started precursor 1935. There really wasn't much, there really wasn't much going on. And so we're in, in the right direction. And, uh, an MLK quote comes to mind. I don't want to watch it, but you know, the arc of morality is long, but it bends towards justice. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel it's going to bend towards, um, in a, an awakening of people saying, okay, like this is not okay. There's so much unconscious behavior. You know, a lot of our economy is based on addiction. You know, you, you, we might hear addiction, we think cocaine, heroin, alcohol, tobacco, but I got it. Yeah. A lot of this addiction is acquiring external substances and fulfilling these, these God sized holes in us. Getting out of yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, I, I think we're going to wisen up as a culture. It might get worse before it gets better. I think social media will get it a little bit worse, but we're going to reach a tipping point where our culture is going to say, fuck, this is not working. <laughs> get me out. <laughs> well, perfect, perfect segue to um, when you were kind of giving your intro and when you and, and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, you had mentioned balance, right? And you had mentioned decluttering kind of your life. And part of what has really, really helped me over the last three years as, you know, life gets busier and like different forms of success come in your life. And now you got to worry about like relationships and employees and all of these like blessings. But in like a really cruel, twisted way, the more blessings kind of can be overloading, right? And it just feels stressful. And so I've been learning a lot and reading a lot about decluttering and kind of minimizing my life. Um, I've been doing that through, th- literally just through getting rid of stuff. You know, we, we, we bought a home when we moved to Nashville and like we don't have really a whole lot of furniture. We have a lot of empty space um, and, and I like it. it. It feels good to breathe when I come home, but even more than the physical stuff is really just my life. Like I've digitally decluttered a lot of my life. I deleted my Facebook account. Um, I basically deleted Instagram as well. I, I do kind of have it for like for sobernation purposes, you know. Um, I've, I've streamlined a whole lot of my stuff so that in the course of my day, I have time to like reflect and pray and meditate and do the stuff that I know brings me peace. And I want to bring that up because before we started recording, um, I know that you're like me, you have a lot going on. You like to stay busy. You know, you're a real motivated guy and, and you have your hands in a whole bunch of things. But I, I was getting the sense that you were kind of hitting a very similar wall that I was hitting where it was time to just cut ties with some things, even though on the surface, it seems like, oh, I don't want to let this go because this is like a good thing in my life, you know, but get rid of some of it so that you can focus on the things that really matter. Yeah, that's a great segue. And if there's one gift that sobriety has given me, one of many, but perhaps the most paramount would be awareness. And this awareness that sobriety has given me is, has continued to build. And, you know, when I first got sober, it was there. It wasn't much of it. But after each month, after each six months, each year, and it's, it's, a, it's like a flat line or it's like a parallel line going up. It's still going up, the awareness. And so, you know, I first got sober uh, and I'm not beating myself up for this, but uh, I, I directed all that energy and time into being an entrepreneur. I did the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, a thing. Yeah. it's natural, right? Like, 
um, we feel it again, kind of what I mentioned earlier, our society instills these rules that, oh, okay, like I need to build, build, build and accumulate wealth and possessions and this, that, and, and I'm good at it. I, I, I am a good being an entrepreneur. I enjoy doing it. Um, but for the first two years of sobriety, I just built, built, built. And then after about two years as the awareness was building, uh, and the building of the businesses was building, I reached a, a critical mass inside where I just said, Oh fuck, this is not working. I am so far out of balance for my personal life with my, with my business life, um, that I needed to reach balance and that doesn't happen overnight. And so for the last couple of years, there's been a, about a hundred small steps put in place and I, I sold, uh, a business earlier this month and I'm selling another business early January and I'm hopefully selling my third business. I've got four total, my fourth business in March or April of this year. And all this, it's a lot of steps. It's a lot of patience. And I've got the brain that wants to, so during this process, even though I take one task off, I've got the brain that wants to immediately put one task back something on. something else in there. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing too. I, I, I can't beat myself up for it. I can't say, oh my God, what's wrong with me? My mind doesn't stop. I need to embrace it. And it's, a, it's like a superpower at the same time. But um, replacing those, those things with park bench time where I just go sit in a park bench and observe and hang out has been beautiful. And I'm, 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 this can take effort and I'm putting a lot of work towards this. I take a lot of time out to just sit. My meditation practice, which took place in 15 minutes in the morning, sometimes the morning and night, has now shifted to park benches during the day to several conscious breaths throughout the day just, just to slow down, take a slow down. So, so I'm reaching this balance and I also don't want to fall into the trap to say, when I hit this perfect balance, I'll be happy because yeah. it's important that I be happy or find the joys through every moment in this journey. Okay. You said something just then that I relate to so well. You said it can be like a superpower because there's parts of me where I really, really am grateful and kind of appreciate that super like obsessive go, go, go part of my mind. My mom always used to grow when I was growing up. My mom always used to say it was my greatest gift and my greatest curse because there's like this real fine balancing act between the side where it's like obsessive and all consuming and a side where it's like just being driven. Right. And so like, <laughs> I don't even, I don't, I don't have a question. I don't even necessarily know what I'm getting at. It's just when you said that was another one of those like, oh, like I'm not the only one type people because I can't help it. Like I wake up in the morning and thoughts just fly into my head and I'm aware, like you said, I have self-awareness. So these days I can cope with it a little bit better and I can meditate and then I'll take action and I'll get rid of something in my life. And then as soon as I do, it's like there's this empty space now where my first reaction is like, okay. Let me fill that shit back up with something else that, I don't know, can get me out of myself. And I think about it a lot. I've written about it a lot on my blog. Sometimes I kind of call it the little monster. Um, and till, till this day, I'm still not sure like, if my relationship with this little monster is like a positive one or if it's a negative one. I, I guess I'm kind of just asking if you can relate to that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 and I heard a, a podcast with uh, Joe Rogan, I think it was Elon Musk, where he's talking about that incessant brain that just doesn't stop moving. It doesn't stop thinking. That was a killer podcast, wasn't it? That was a good one. That was yeah, a great that was a good one. one. 
And I've also learned to leverage it as, as, as a superpower, right? Because there's, there's all types of brains out there and I have one I can multitask and which is great, but it's also not healthy to multitask. Yeah. But I have a brain that just goes and goes and goes. You know, before my, the way I dealt with that was with alcohol. Um, and the beautiful part about sobriety is I found out there's ways to deal with the incessant thinking that don't involve alcohol. It can be meditation, it can be yoga, it can be running, it can be sitting, it can be doing nothing at all. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of healthier ways to pacify the brain. Um, but at the same time, I've learned to embrace it. And I had, I almost have more control over it, but I have more control over, you know, thoughts come in and I don't jump on it. So, okay, like mm. I can just let this thought come and go. So Tim, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I think a lot of people who are listening to this can also relate to it. And, and there's another way to look at this too, to be cognizant of, and I don't fully know the answer with this, but some of it is the dysfunctional relationship with the present moment. Um, and, and that's kind of how my ADD crept up in my mid twenties. Like I went to grad school, college and high school, just fine without ADD meds wasn't a problem. Uh -huh. And then as you know, the, the, the more difficult the present moment got, ADD suddenly came to be a thing and I'm not knocking ADD. I, 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 you know, I was, I, I tried med meds for a while and I found out I'm more productive off them, but uh, I also need to keep that in check as well. That some of the, sometimes these ideas are taking me away from the present moment. And you know, sometimes these ideas are, they're healthy, fun ideas as well. So like I said, awareness, this is like my number one ally at this moment. You and I have always had a commonality in that um, we get a lot of stress relief from our fitness. You still, you're still working out like a madman, like, like we were doing a couple years ago. No, yes and no. <laughs> so a uh, big moment of growth. I had, I had hernia surgery um, mm. about, a, about six weeks ago, five weeks ago. And last night was the first night I put on ice skates and ice skated. So there, that's it. There will come a time in my life where I need to find internal stillness and inner peace without getting on a treadmill, without lifting weights. And so it was a tough, tough transition. I found out with that, that I suck at relaxing. It's something that needs to be improved upon. But, uh, yeah. So I, again, balance, right? There's a balance. <laughs> so Keep going. hold on. This is interesting though. Six weeks ago, what, you had a herniated disc or an actual hernia? No, a hernia. So um, okay. it's a local hernia. I lifted an arcade machine, one of the businesses that I had. It was like two years ago. And it was just getting worse. So I decided to get it fixed. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't work out. When sometimes when my mind goes in a weird spot, hey, let's go for a run. No big deal. Let's run this thing out. Yeah. That wasn't an option <laughs> for about What's five been weeks. Like? Uh, it's been tough. You know, the holidays came up, buying Christmas gifts. There's a lot to manage during the holidays everybody, normal person, not or normal drinker, not normal drinker. It's just a stressful time of year for a lot of people. And when it gets cold, ice skating is my outlet. Didn't have it. And so, but also like there were, like I said, there will come a time in life where we need to find that inner peace and the inner joy, just being okay when fitness isn't an option. So it's, it's been a lot of growth. <laughs> it's been good yeah. though. Yeah. How about you? How about you, Tim? What does it, what does it look like these you know, these, these healthy releases or healthy ways to relax for you. Running always has been the easiest one for me. I recently bought a rowing machine and mm -hmm. rowing has been really good. Um, I've put a lot of miles in my life. So my knees are starting to get a little bit jacked up, but what, li listen to you talk about that. And just the option of like, you cannot work out. It's not an option for you right now. And thinking about what I would do, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh man, that, that would be so difficult. 
Um, so I like, I really commend you with, with being self-aware enough to just figure out how to be present in the moment and still without forcing yourself to like exert your energy somehow that that would be really, really difficult. I, I, I've, I've personally thought that a lot of people could get more stillness within themselves, especially in recovery. If they worked out, it's, it's been something that I've written about pretty often. I think, I think a lot of times people that are in active addiction, I mean, for obvious reasons, but we're kind of tough on our bodies and, you know, we live sort of unhealthy lifestyles. And I think that if people took fitness a little bit more seriously into their recovery and their sobriety, they would have a much easier time coping with some of that angst and that anxiety. I agree hundred percent. And I have actually dedicated a little bit of time to researching runner's high and what that is. Sure. Cool. It has dopamine, norepinephrine, endorphins get going, but I think a lot of workout and especially the runner's highs, when you hit that pace where you're fully in the present moment where because it's, it's, you're basically an eternity. It's just, that's all it is right there. There's nothing, there's, there's no depression, which is in the past. There's no anxiety, which is in the future. You're just stuck right there in the present moment. And that's addictive. And, and because it's addictive because it's the most beautiful thing we can experience is the present moment. And then often people, um, I'm not saying all runners are unhealthy, not at all. Um, but sometimes that's not the healthiest of motives to find the present moment through that way. Cause it's not sustainable. Like I mentioned, there'll be a time when your knees just can't run marathons. You can't always be, um, in, in that shape or be in a spot where you just get up and run. And so it's important to find other ways to be in that present moment. This can be done. You know, I did it a lot of my life through music. Um, mm. I'm a terrible painter, but a lot of people do it through, through art and a lot of create most things of <laughs> that, are, that are creative are built on the present moment, which, which is also why it can be addictive for people to be, uh, and I don't use that in a bad word, uh, the word addictive, but being in the present moment is addictive and it's a healthy addiction to have. And I think all things that are, that are based on creativity, um, these, these amazing creations, amazing paintings, works of art, musical pieces that have been written over you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, all the best ones come when we're in the present moment. Um, it's powerful. It's really, it's really neat stuff. It is really powerful. And I, I, I never quite thought of it that way. Um, but it, it is really true because isn't that, isn't that the hardest thing to just be, in the moment right now, not thinking about all the things that may or may not happen and not worrying about all the things that have happened that don't actually matter anymore. You know, Tim, it is so hard that people actually jump off thousand foot rock edifices with extra fabric tied underneath their arms and legs. <laughs> Does this make sense? It makes like, perfect sense. I, like there's no way like, Hey, you know, I'm, I can either go play mini golf, go karts, hit the office or go jump off in a squirrel suit. Like that activity, you have no option except to be in the present moment. And I think a lot of those sports, adrenaline sports like bungee jumping, skydiving, a lot of that stuff just like catapults you into the now. And that's addicting, right? I mean, there's a pretty fine line for error with jumping out. I think it's called a squirrel suit. I don't know, a Red Bull man flying suit, whatever it's called. Like there's yeah. a pretty fine line of error right there. If you you've miscalculated like, and there's a lot of people that have not survived that hobby, but the part of it that's so powerful, the intrigue is being in the present moment. So yeah, that's, that's also how hard it is. Um, cause sometimes it's, it, it can be very difficult to achieve and that's why there's fun activities like that. They just, boom, I'm in the present moment. This is awesome. 
Does that have anything to do with what you talked about earlier with the cure for addiction? Do you think it has to do with finding ways to be present? Do you think it has to do more with like a connectivity type? Yes. Yeah. You just said the word. Uh, so. uh, yeah, I do. The connection, the connectivity. And so when we're connecting, when we're forming altruistic relationships with which aren't done when alcohol and drugs are present, um, I thought at the bars and clubs, I was oh, best friends for life. It's just not the case. Those connections don't happen. But when we're sober, we have face-to-face -face connections, face-to-face -face conversations. Like, just think about what's better than in a conversation with your best friend or mm -hmm. with just like a long lost friend we can pick up at the same spot. Sometimes you look at the phone, holy crap, it's been three hours. That stuff just flies by. And so I think in the cure to addiction, it's all speculative, like I mentioned, I had a great time putting this, 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 uh, this episode together, um, is going to be the time when connection is at the forefront when communal ties go back to what they were hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And unfortunately, like I said, with social media and Facebook, um, it, I, I think it's promoting disconnection. In fact, I was at a hockey tournament this last May and we went to like, we went to a restaurant and there was a baseball team and seven out of eight of the kids, it was like a T-ball, uh, probably like seven year olds, seven, eight year olds, seven out of eight of them were on their cell phones in these booths at a restaurant. And I looked at it, I was just like, whoa. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's healthy. And I, and I could be wrong. Um, but there's not a lot of face-to-face -face connection going on these days, which sucks. And I feel like I'm leveraging Facebook. You're leveraging social media in, in positive ways. And in, in, in our groups that we have, our accountability groups, Cafe Airy, we're seeing some amazing stuff happen. But it's dangerous to go on social media on the newsfeed and scroll down because as human beings, we do a really good job of attaching where we need to be at life on a newsfeed. Just seeing, oh, new job. This person got this house. This person had this. It can be dangerous at the same time. And so I think when we go forward three, four, 500 years, we're going to put our emphasis back on this connection. Um, and there's already been a ton of studies done with this, with Rat Park. Um, Johan Hari does a TED talk about it, um, where you know, they, they basically create an addiction environment with, with rats. One of them is just like a single rat in isolation. It's got water. It's got cocaine-infused water. Water-infused cocaine kills itself every time. The other, the other equation is, is, is the rat with a fully stimulant environment with families, with friends, with mates, with toys. It also has water and it also has water infused cocaine. What happens is nothing. There is no addiction. So I think the connection is what is missing um, with addiction. And like I said, I think it's just like an underlying pulse on how society is. And I think we're lacking big time the connection with other real life human beings. I agree, Paul. I spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. Um, I, I, I can't think of what else it could be, right? Because we're in a time now where all of our needs are met. I mean, some people are more fortunate than others, so I don't want to, you know, make it seem like there aren't people without problems out there by any means. But in terms of like our society, we don't have to do like that much hard stuff anymore, you know, like nobody's having a hard time finding food and everybody basically has shelter. And it's like those um, experiences that we're used to, like our primal brains are used to sharing with each other, you know, like those communal moments, sitting around with a lot of people and cooking and eating and talking about family and being with other people. We don't, have a, a a reason to do that anymore i almost said purpose but like we do have a purpose for it 
it's almost just, it's, it's easier for people to sit back in this comfortable state and the comfortable state is very isolative, right? And so what happens to anybody when they spend too much time with themselves? They start thinking of all the things about themselves that they don't like. So I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I've really, really spent a lot, a lot of time thinking about the lack of connectivity that we have in our lives. And you're, you're very optimistic about it. I got to say, I don't see like a real easy way out from that at all. Um, but for me, like that's kind of what I was getting at when I talked about living a little bit more minimalist life, because when there's less stuff around me to go like, Oh, what's that? You know, like red dot there, notification there. Um, I'm forced to just go out and maybe like have conversations with people and sit down at coffee shops. Even something that I've been doing recently, if I'm in line with somebody like forcing myself to just talk to the person next to me, you know, be like, Hey, what do you do? And it's really amazing what happens when people these days go like, Oh my God, this person's talking to me, you know? And like, I feel like we're all longing for this need to just like grab on to other people. And, uh, and we're having a hard time finding it. I'm, I'm optimistic for sure, just because I believe in humanity, but I think we got a long way to go. I, I really do. <laughs> so I, I'm optimistic in the long run. I, yeah. I have somewhat of a fatalistic view in the short term where I think it's going to get worse uh, before it gets better. And there are pockets of success out there. You and I talking right now are, we've made it, um, we're on the other side of it right now. And I hope mm -hmm. that doesn't change. So there, and, and, and I see in our groups, um, I go to AA locally here in Bozeman, there are millions of people leaving their addictions. Um, but at the same time, there are millions more falling into addictions and especially countries like China, some of their breakneck, uh, progress industrialization is, is, is coming at a, a tremendous cost in the form yep. of addiction. Um, but you mentioned earlier, like we have this lifelong yearning for connection and you nailed it, Tim. You said it perfectly. It's actually built into our evolution. Yeah. We are supposed to be surrounded by other human beings. And this is actually gonna be quantifiable. I, I forget the exact stats, but I read an article about a year ago with a graph. Um, there's like a, a distance in feet that this graph did from the 50s to you know, 2010, whatever, where the average human being in 1950 was like 25 feet away from us. I don't even know if that number is right, but what I'm getting at is it, it just, it gets further and further each decade, each decade. And now the average human being is you know, an average of like a you know, hundred feet away. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's pretty profound. Like we, we are, we are more becoming an isolated culture um, than we've than we've ever been and more on an individual basis within an isolated culture. And so just like you said, standing in line, yeah, that's, uh, it's scary. It's tough to do because we, we've kind of unconsciously been told that, that's, that we, we don't do that. But when once that conversation happens, you can see it on the other person. Like, oh, yeah, like this is, this is right. This feels uh -huh. good. Don't know this person. But this is, we are two human beings being conscious in a conversation. This feels right because it's built into us at an evolutionary, or at the core level. It's, it's, it's neat. It's profound. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I read the same study that you did, but I did read one where somebody was trying, um, they were putting correlations together between like why so much of the overdoses were happening in more 
uh, higher median income families because common logic, if you don't know anything about it, you would step back and think like, mm, I, I would assume that people in lower income probably have a harder time. Um, and I'm sure that this is the case in, in, in all different, like the, it's a real generalization is what I'm saying. But this guy did a study uh, with exactly what you were saying, where he was measuring um, square foot per person in a home. And so like the bigger their homes are, the more room everybody has to themselves. And they don't like just kind of bump into each other in the kitchen or, you know, they're not seeing each other on the way out the door. Like they can, they can basically create little pockets to themselves in their own homes. And uh, the, the correlation between like more square foot per person in neighborhoods and um, the drug overdoses were like neck and neck with each other. So, so we're basically saying the same thing, you know, like I don't want to kind of uh, rag onto this. I just, I feel really, really strongly like in my bones that people have a lot more control over the way they feel than I think then I think we want to give ourselves credit for. And I just, I really, really think the first step is like join a book club, you know, go join like a CrossFit gym where you work out with other people. Uh, go join a cooking club. Like these things on the surface are so far apart from recovery and addiction, but, but I don't think they are. Like, I think it's, it's, it's the same thing, you know? <laughs> I agree with you hundred um, percent. You could be like a recovery club, right? Or it doesn't really matter. It's just the human yeah. connection. It's important that you just get outside and do it. It, it really is. Um, and I'm trying to embrace the creativity side of me more, um, put myself in situations where that can come out. And uh, you know, just mentioned I'm taking things off my plate, but I did email a theater group here in Bozeman and said, Hey, I want to, I'm going to volunteer. Cool. And they got back to me. He's like, Hey, we've got a show in February. We need ushers. Uh, we need people with set design. And so I think I'm going to meet up with them in early February. Uh, it's just, I just want to be around other creative, healthy people. And that's the plan. So just trying, I'm always trying new things out. And it sounds like, and it sounds like you are, you are as well. Um, yeah, that, that, that study about the, the opioid epidemic, it's, that's interesting that, because again, I would have thought the same thing too, but yeah, it's like upper middle class white are predominantly being, um, just strifed by <laughs> addiction. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a conversation, this particular topic that I feel like we can really, really go on uh, for a long time. I'd like to kind of finish off the podcast with um, speaking to people a little bit more who might be either just starting off their journey or like kind of looking for a little bit more. Um, so what I want to hear from you is like what, I don't want to just say give your best advice because I think that's kind of a loaded question, but what are the tools that have worked best for you to a like stay sober a day at a time, but also like continue to kind of build and just grow into the person that, that we were talking about before that like you, you want to become. If somebody comes to you and say like, Hey man, where do I start? I, I see what you have. I want to get to that level. What's my first step? Yeah. Great, great question, Tim. And I'm going to phrase this as in um, answering a question, best advice, but I'm also going to say it in a way where I'm talking to myself as well. And wherever you are in this journey, including myself, we're on the right track. And I have to constantly remind myself to trust that I don't have to have all the answers. 
when I realize that I can, I can listen to my body and, and, and quiet the mind, listen to my body, it's been telling me what to do. It's been nudging me in the right direction my entire life. It's kind of when the thinking steps in, that's when, uh, yeah, just like those thought processes go, oh, I need a drink, yada, yada, yada. But my body has been telling me what to do my entire life. And it doesn't matter where you are in this journey. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a podcast episode, doing research for it now called The Tipping Point. Um, and even when you enter that first Google search in, do I have a drinking problem? Mm. You've started this journey that is, you can't go back. Um, you can go back to drinking and you can try it out. But like, it's never it's the same now. It's never be the same. And I'm yeah. sorry if you're listening to recovery podcast, Tim's or mine for the first time, we ruined drinking for you. We really did. <laughs> we did because you can't go back. And the advice for myself and you guys is just to trust. It's just to trust that the body knows what it's doing and it's been nudging you in the right direction for a long time. Sometimes those are acute signs such as depression, such as anxiety, such as your body is physically shutting down as they can happen at the later stages of addiction. But I need to trust that we're all on the right path. We are on the right path. If we can quiet the mind, the body knows what to do and we just need to follow. I love that. That, that when you say trust, I also kind of hear faith. Um, Absolutely. Cause I think the word faith is for obvious reasons, kind of co-mingled with some religions. And if you're a religious person and you have that sort of connotation, that's great. But for me, the word faith really comes down to like just believing that if I do this, these things are going to happen. That's not always going to happen in the way that I want it to, but like just having faith in the future, you know, faith, faith to me is like going to sleep knowing that tomorrow is actually going to come, you know, cause when you're asleep, like you give away a little bit of that control. You don't know, like you, you can't predict what's going to happen, but faith is just belief in tomorrow. So when you say trust, and you say, listen to your body. I, I, I hear, you know, have faith that all of the signs and the signals and, and whatever it is that you believe in is in fact pointing you in the right direction. You just have to kind of take it, you know, a, a leap of faith, if you will. You just have to go with it. Yeah, Tim, and there are times when we don't want to take it. For sure. When we trust, like our body will put ourselves in situations that will shed light on uncomfortable thinking or negative thinking patterns mm. and our, our body might put us in situations or create chemicals around a, a feeling, a thought, emotion that are so uncomfortable, but those are often the best signposts in life to say, Whoa, this is not right. This is not healthy. I need to make changes. It's without these acute painful moments, this change will really occur. Um, and that's why the trust is so hard sometimes because it's pretty easy to trust when you're on a, on a hike in the sunset and yep. Not drinking is great. Yeah, it's it's the trust feels really good at those times. Yeah, but when that anxiety is creeping in, you're saying, "Am I on the right track?" I've been sober for six months and I feel like shit. That's when it's hard to trust. And believe me, I've heard a lot of those stories where that tipping point in sobriety can happen at any time in a good way. Right? You're going, 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 and then boom, just this weight can lift. It's different for everybody, but trust it's needed at all times. Paul. I really appreciate speaking to you. Um, I'm very, very excited to see the next evolution of Recovery Elevator. I know that you have some plans. You, even when you and I were talking a little bit more, I know that there were like some real ideas that you wanted to implement that I, I think 
I'm not going to poke and prod too much, but the little bit that I know you, I know you got some things <laughs> brewing up there. Um, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what you do with it. It sounds like you're kind of clearing your plate a little bit more so that you have more time and more resources to just kind of divulge into Recovery Elevator. Uh, if you would, give people a little bit more of a direction on where they can find you, uh, some of the different groups and, and some of the real cool community events that you have going on. I, I know that people listening to this podcast are going to want, want to learn more about you. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so it's recoveryelevator.com. The private accountability community is called Cafe RE. All the information is on the website. Um, and one idea um, I'm very excited about these days is sober travel. We just did Peru this last October. You had 20 people go down. And then I'm lining up uh, Thailand and Cambodia in January 2020. Everybody loves to travel. But if you can do this in a way where you don't jeopardize sobriety and you're building lifelong connections, which I've seen on these trips happen, it's, it's unbelievable. So I'm I'm extremely excited about that idea of where that's going to go in the future. I, I think the next three to five years, we'll have multiple itineraries going on at once all across the world, five day, 10 day. The, the Thailand, Cambodia is a 12 day itinerary. Uh, it, we're going to like in volunteer work, service work is a big part of recovery. So we, we, we build in all these components in these trips. It's, it's freaking awesome. Um, and, you know, and we're actually in Nashville. We're coming to Nashville, Tim, and I hope to meet you in person. No uh, way. Yeah, February 23rd, we're doing an event, but um, we'll be there for the weekend, February 22nd to the 24th. Um, yeah, dude, we, uh, let's chat after, after we, 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 we hit stop and chat. More I will for sure be in Nashville on February 23rd. I know I will be. There we go. Um, that's really exciting. So if going to Peru or going to Cambodia or Thailand with other like-minded people sounds like a cool fucking thing to do, it sounds pretty cool to me recoveryelevator.com. Yeah, Tim, thanks for having me. It's been great to see you again. Um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing awesome things out there. Thank you. And, and, and likewise, I, uh, it's just great to see how much it's grown and all the hard work that you've, you've put in. And I'm, I'm really happy for you, man. So, uh, so thank you so much for joining me. Um, everybody listen to the podcast. I really, really appreciate you listening. If you could, uh, like, or subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating and a comment. That's the best thing you can do to support the show. I will talk to you guys next week. And Paul, thank you so much one more time. I really next appreciate time. it.